Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This is a podcast where we interview individuals who have survived um, all sorts of situations, mainly addiction, have looked to tell about it. Today, I have Ingrid with us sharing her story. I heard you speak at the treatment center. You actually came as a guest, and I remember you were just like kind of sitting there quiet, and you know, we were just asked if anyone else wanted to say anything, and you shared very briefly. But it was like five minutes of just raw recovery, no bullshit, and the clients liked it. I can appreciate like the no bullshit type of thing. Like that's kind of why I wanted to do the podcast because a lot of times when I see recovery podcasts, it's like butterflies and like people that probably haven't even been clean that long. Not to say that like clean times anything, but it's like I wouldn't even think about doing a podcast unless I've had five, six, seven years minimum, you know. You know, I was taught, you know, you're a newcomer until you got five years. Even now, you know, I've been clean 12 years, but I still feel like there's a lot to learn. Um, I still never feel cured, you know, and I want to know what's really going on. You know, like my sponsor would really, you know, dive into like, don't tell me it's all good. Like, I want to hear about what's really going on and um, to sit down, shut the fuck up, do what you're told. And uh, if we want to know where to go cop, then we'll ask you. <laughs> and that's kind of the vibe of the of the podcast. You know, this isn't a recovery podcast. This is how has an exit. You know, if you want to share your story, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So, hi, family. My name is Ingrid, and I am truly a blessed and recovering addict. And uh, I always say, <laughs> and uh, alcoholic. I've been clean since July 10th, 1987. And uh, that's including weekends and overseas and holidays and divorces and incarceration and a whole bunch of stuff. I got clean in New York. I'm from New York City. I don't know if you'll notice that. (laughs) But uh, I was listening to Brian. And remaining teachable is the gift. Because if I'm the smartest person in the room, what can you teach me? Nothing. When I came around, I did not hear shut the fuck up or sit down, because mm-hmm. I'd have put one right in your mouth. So I didn't get that jest. I came in, I was a very sick person, but I was my sick person. I lived to use and used to live, and I didn't really know there was anything wrong with the way I was living, because, uh, you know, you hear that song, Street Life, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that was my MO, you know, I lived to use, used to live, you live by the sword, you die by it. And as time went on, I never thought drugs and alcohol had anything to do with my life or my problems. I picked up alcohol at a very young age, and it saved my life. I love getting high. Getting high took care of me. It gave me courage. It gave me strength. It showed me love. It helped me get those beatings. It helped me through those abuse situations. It helped me to endure. And so I never thought that alcohol or drugs would have ever been a problem to me. So I always thought that I'm of Hispanic descent. Actually, I'm a Puerto Rican Jew, but I was raised by my mom and uh, my grandma. My mom died when I was a little girl, and uh, my father was my abuser. So he had me thinking for a very long time that I had killed my mother. And I thought that. When I got to recovery, I really believed that I was the reason my mother was dead. What do you mean by that? Like, what did he say? Why did he say that? Or like, how did he say that you killed her? You want to perverse him? <laughs> well, he would just say, you fucking bitch, you're killing your mother. Wow. You killed your fucking mother. In the process of all of his insanity and abuse. And um, my mother died of cancer, breast cancer, when I was a little girl. 
And that was one of the things that turned me away from God because she was a good lady. He was an alcoholic. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic as well. I experienced what I know after being clean was abuse. Uh, Sexually, emotionally, physically. Like when I got to the fellowship, I didn't know none of that stuff was a problem. Mm -hmm. It was a lifestyle. I thought in order to keep a good man, you had to beat his ass. I didn't know nothing about being monogamous. I didn't know. I had all these kids, and I was like, holy shit, and who are they? I raised my kids to believe in nobody can do nothing to you. Somebody put their hands on you. You make sure you crack their head open. Don't let nobody touch you. And these are things that I did not know had to do with abuse. I would not let my kids go sitting with nobody. I would leave my kids for days at a time in the house because I didn't want nobody to be in there with them. And I didn't even know why. Had I not stayed clean, I would have never got to understand what I understand about me today and why my behaviors were what they were. And I didn't understand none of that, but I had to stay clean to go through that process. And staying clean isn't for those that need it. It's for those that want it. Because if you want to stay clean, you're going to go through your shit. You know, it means them gut-wrenching moments that you're in the corner crying, balled over, realizing that you've been abused for the last fucking 10 years of your life. That abuse started for you at five years old. And that was abuse. Who knew that? You don't get to know none of that stuff. That stuff is something that just goes on and on. And I used over stuff that I can't even tell you. Like, um, I always like to tell a story of um, the three monks. You know, there's three monks and they're in prayer and they're walking down the hill. And one of the monks happens to look and he sees this lady grinding and struggling. He runs over there, takes off his cloak and he helps the lady and he goes back to the monks and they just keep watching him and watching him. And finally he stops and he says to them, brothers, what's wrong? Why are you guys looking at me like this? And they said, we can't believe it. And he said, you can't believe what? They said, we can't believe that you touched that woman and you carried that woman across that road. Like, how did you do that? And he looked at them and with a long gaze, he looked at them. He said, I carried her then, but you're carrying her now. And that was me. Whatever happened to me happened to me, but I was carrying that shit. And I was suffering suffering. I mean, I cannot unring a bell, but the suffering of all of those things that happened to me just would walk with me everywhere I went. And I thought you knew what I was going through. I thought you knew that I was an abused child. I thought you knew that I was a drug addict. I thought you knew that I was ashamed of myself. I thought you knew that I was illiterate. I thought you knew that I was going to fucking stick you one. I thought you knew all of that. So I couldn't look people in the face. At all. I could never look nobody in their eyes. And that was one of the things that I learned in recovery. I learned how to hold my head up. And I learned to look people in the eyes. But I had to stay clean to do that. What I've learned about recovery is that every little thing that goes on has a purpose. And that there's no coincidences. Like, this program is what worked for me. Whatever's going to work for you, it'll work for you. That's on you. But it worked for me. And it worked for me because this was the last house on the block for me. And I heard one was too many and a thousand was never enough. We put great emphasis on this. And I was using and using and using. And then what brought me to the rooms was crack cocaine. Not free base, crack. Because when I started smoking, I was free basing. There's a big difference. When you're making your own shit and you're smoking your own shit, to where you taking off your jewelry, taking off your drawers to get you a hit because everything you got is over. And I was feeding my kids ice sandwiches. How old were you at this time? Uh, When I got clean. Uh, When you started smoking crack? I was 25. But I have been using since I was 10. Mm -hmm. So I never, ever thought that drugs and alcohol was my problem. There were these cops that we had in the projects, and uh, we used to call them dead eye and shaft. And they would take me and my cousin into this nursery that we had back there, and they would get us drunk and be feeling us up and shit. And I was maybe whopping 10. Wow. I learned to get that attention from men. And uh, that was a way of life. 
I didn't know there was nothing wrong with that. You know what kept me coming back to the meetings was them fine-ass brothers. <laughs> I walked in there, and I was like, shit, that cat is fly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I said, I'm going to hit that. <laughs> and what mean he going to? And that's how I proceeded to live in recovery. I, I got them steps on my back. Them guys, a lot of them guys had time. And I was there to hit it and go. And they would want to cuddle up. And I remember just looking like, do you fucking hug up on every hole you get with? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you, bro? You good? And then I remember this guy sharing in a meeting. He had eight years. And he started sharing in a meeting about me. And I was like, this motherfucker right here. I couldn't believe it. Wow. I was, I, Yeah, I was like, wow, that's what I said. I was like, yo, bro, you ain't got, what the fuck? What's up with that? Like, like you a punk. Why are you talking about me and shit? You ain't supposed to tell. I ain't tell nobody. That wasn't even my first year. And my sponsor said to me, Ingrid, she labeled my disease Queenie. And she, she would tell me, Queenie, when Ingrid wakes up, have her call me. <laughs> but two years, this lady did not give me her address. Everybody else had an address but me. And we still laugh about that today because through this Zoom, I was able to find her because I was relocated mm -hmm. from um, New York to Florida. But um, when I got relocated, they told me I was going to have to stop going to meetings. And I was like, I can't stop that. And I was coming up on my fourth year when I got down here. But in my first year, um, she said to me, Ing, if you keep going through this room the way you're going, the first three rows are going to know what you taste like. And I looked at her and I was like, why you ain't hitting it? You know, like, why you ain't getting with it? You pretty? Go. You jealous? Like, what's wrong? And she said, I'm not jealous of you. I just, um, I just want you to start to learn how to respect yourself. And I didn't have a conversation with a guy. There was no conversations. There was nothing to talk about. Let's do what we got to do. And that's the way I live my life. And I remember getting my first, she sent me to go get an evaluation. And the lady gave me all these tests and shit. She goes, well, uh, you're an antisocial personality. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and she goes, well, you're homicidal and you're suicidal. You could have asked me that. I'd have told you that shit. <laughs> what the fuck we had to go through all of that for? I'd have told you that. Like, you don't think I'm fucking homicidal and suicidal? I feel like killing your ass right now. <laughs> so, and at the time, I had no idea what she was talking about. But I knew I didn't And this is what years clean? This is what, what my first year clean. Wow. But as time would go on, I would do my steps, and my sponsor used to sit there and look at me, and she'd say, do you feel any of that? And I used to look at her and be like, feel what? Like, what am I supposed to be feeling? Like, um, she'd say, well, and then she started labeling. She said, well, this is control. This is anger. I only had two feelings, bad and worse. This is lust. This is hurt, whatever. And whatever we were talking about or whatever process to the ability that I can get honest about, because I was one of those people that I would, um, I, like I told you, I'm from New York, and they told me, Ing, protect your clean date no matter what. Mm -hmm. Protect your clean date. And I came in gangster, so that shit made sense to me. I was, and people took bets that I wasn't going to make it to my first year. I remember this guy with 27 years because I'm from the projects. I was from Baisley, Baisley, Southside, Jamaica. Hey, shout out. <laughs> and this guy, uh, he had 27 years clean. I don't want to break his anonymity. He said, oh, no, I'll pick you up. I'll take you to your meeting. I'll pick you up, young gal. So I was like, oh, these people are so nice and shit. And homie pimped me in his car. By the third night, he pimped me down in his car, and I had to fuck that old man up. Wow. And uh, and I was just so mad about that. And I remember one of the ladies that used to be my softball coach, she lived upstairs over me, and uh, and I told her about it. And she said, him? He would never do nothing like that. You crazy, girl. And uh, and I went to the meeting the next day, and I was like, because that's the way I was. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> I came in, and I would sit in the back, my little abnus, my hoodie, and my shit. I was like, ain't none of these motherfuckers in here going to get me. But because um, I also was very paranoid. So if you here, stay here. Don't let nobody ever chase your ass out these fucking rooms because nobody, nobody deserves that seat more than you. Hmm. And when you look to the left and you look to the right, 
I'm here to tell you that that's a motherfucker just as sick as you are. So don't put nobody on no pedestals because when they fall, they fall right on your ass. You heard? And so that was my experience there. And after that, maybe three years into my recovery, this guy came to me and uh, he said, young gal, because that was his mantra. Young gal, you fucking slime bucket. Young gal, uh, if there's anything I've ever done to you to harm you, I apologize for that. And I didn't know. I was still fresh in recovery, so I didn't really know he was making an amends. Mm -hmm. I was like, you dirty motherfucker. (laughs) And then on top of that, (laughs) all these chicks that was coming in and out the rooms because you fucking them and got these fucking disciples fucking them too? Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear that shit. I came in the same person that I was out there, humanless. I was an android. I had no human emotions. And I remember trying to cry. I don't know if anybody ever tried to cry, but I remember trying to cry. My sponsor would be like, do you feel any of that? I'd be like, am I supposed to feel? She said, Ing, we got to get to your feelings. And that took time. That took a lot of therapy and regression therapy and a lot of hurt. A lot of hurt people, too, because um, I, I was getting married. I was always getting married. I always had a husband. And one husband, I'd be cheating with his ass, and he would be like, oh, I don't want to be with somebody else's wife. I'm like, well, that's a problem, ain't it? Hmm. He says, well, you need to leave him and get divorced, and I'll, blah, blah. and I'll be like, okay, let's do it. And then I always used to think in my mind, and this is in recovery, y'all, and then I always used to think in my mind, hmm, do you see what I'm doing to him? Like, what the fuck you think I'm going to do to you? But Okay. <laughs> like I had no responsibility for that. I took no responsibility for my ill-gotten behaviors. And guess what? I'm a recovering hoe too. And I always share that. I am a recovering hoe because don't nobody like to fuck around more than me. But I've learned how to modify my behavior and I don't take hostages. And so that was the turning point for me to make a decision on what was I going to do. I'm still a scared little girl. All this time later, I'm still a very scared little girl, and I still um, have things that I still run from. I may look like I'm all together, and I might look like shit is good for me, but I still get scared. And I still have secrets. And I still want to run and hide sometimes. Sometimes I still want people to take care of me. I want somebody just to hold me, just hold me. That's it. After that, I still have that, just like I did when I first came around, just like I had for years. Listen, hold me for 10 minutes, but don't get too comfortable, motherfucker, because I got to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, I do. That's, that's <laughs> unfortunately, right? <laughs> okay. But, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It takes a certain kind of person to love a certain kind of person like, a, like me. And this is the only place that takes people like us. And turns us into people like us. Because through all my pain and all my suffering, I learned that pain is mandatory. Like, we gonna hurt. But the suffering is the option. I can feel somebody's pain from a mile away. And sometimes people say, you a witch, girl? How you know that? I know through trial and error. You know, I'm not unique. By nothing that I say and do am I unique. You people opened up your arms to me. When I got to this fellowship, I'm still in touch with some of the sisters that wrapped their arms around me when I had them little babies running around like little crackheads waiting to use. Wow. Because they learned crackhead behavior. I remember I went to a meeting one time. I came home and my little daughter was sucking her thumb. And she goes, they put Billy in a dryer. I said, they did what? She said, they put Billy in a dryer and they cut it on. And I saw my son walking. He was limping. I said, what happened? <laughs> what happened to you? He said, Gloria and Kenyette threw me in the dryer and they turned it on. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God, boy, you okay? And I was looking at them like, why the hell you do it? He was getting on our nerves. How many kids you got? I have five kids and 15 grandkids. Holy cow. And I was blessed with my grandkids because some of them, uh, well, one of my children, she was struggling. and, uh, And I had the kids for a while. I've actually raised all my grandkids, except for my son's kids, because his girlfriend, you know, whatever they got going on. But all my daughter's kids, I've raised them all. And I thank God for that. Because those kids, from my baby son on down, are recovery babies. 
like I have something to give them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I got a little pearl of wisdom to give them. When they say, Ma, and what about this? And what about that? And Ma, this and Ma, that. And I say, hey, listen, you know, if you're going to worry, why pray? And if you're going to pray, why worry? And people that generally act like that may not be somebody you want in your circle. But what did you do? Mm-hmm. What part did you play? And what do you think is best for you? And that, to me, is a pearl of wisdom. I always thought I could control people, places, and things. I was queenie. I can do whatever the fuck I want, and you're going to do what I told you to do because I said so. And those things cost me a lot of pain. A lot of pain in recovery because I couldn't control people, places, and things. And I had to accept that eventually. Everything that I let go of had claw marks on it. <laughs> like, my children had to break away from me because, because my mother died when I was a child and I was so abandoned, I used to swear all the time, I'm never going to let my kids go through this. My kids will never, ever have to go through this. I will never let this happen to them. But when I put my mother in the grave, I felt like my soul went with her. And she was a good lady. She put up with a lot of abuse from my father. And I used to say, why don't you leave? And she would say, yes, that's your father. And my mother was an educated woman. I didn't know much about my mom until... My son, recently, they wanted um, him to go play for the national team in Puerto Rico, and they started investigating my mom, and my mom was an intelligent woman. She was, uh, in those days, she was a mulata woman working for the Navy, translating English to Spanish. Wow. Educated. She got with my dad because her clock was running out, and she was 10 years younger than him. I know that my mom believed in God. My sponsor in early recovery said to me, and I'm so grateful that she said this to me, because at first I had like three or four sponsors, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Like these women took me, Liz Bailey, God bless her. She's like got some 70 years now or whatever. She had like 35, 40 years at that time, and she took me under her wing, and she said, baby, come sit here. None of that stuff's important. And she used to just laugh at me because I was just off the chain. But my sponsor said to me, she said, you know that big asshole you feeling in your chest right now? She said, get used to it, because that's your hole. And she said, there ain't nothing going to fill that hole for you in. That's something you're going to have to figure out for yourself. Ain't going to be enough drugs, men, money, alcohol. Nothing going to fill that hole, girl. You better get used to that hole. And I'm used to that hole. Like, I've accepted that hole, and I know that people can't change that hole. Cars don't change that whole. Houses don't change that whole. So I had to go to Debtors Anonymous. <laughs> that's, that's a humdinger. I suggest everybody in recovery take your ass to DA. <laughs> that's <laughs> a real thing? That's a real thing. Debtors Anonymous? Debtors Anonymous. Wow. It's a real thing, and that shit works for real. Like, to really be responsible because I would be working my ass off and not have a dime because of my unmanageability. See, unmanageability goes everywhere. And I was angry at men because I was being abused. And I didn't know that. But I had to stay clean long enough to get into some therapy. And I couldn't think of it. I couldn't remember past 11. I just could not remember my life past 11, before 11. I just couldn't figure it out. And I ended up going to UM to get my cap. There was a, a my, one of my psychology classes, and the guy says, he gives us this exercise, and this exercise was... How old are you at this point? Um, I, I just had gotten here, so I'm going to be 29, 30, 31, maybe 32. And you went back to school? Yeah. Wow. Well, when, when I got relocated, I had gone to this program called EPRA. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to make you sociably acceptable. When I got to recovery, I had a fourth grade reading level. Actually, wow. so I you had a fourth grade reading level, holy cow, probably lower. But um, they would give me who's an addict. Some people still can laugh about this shit, <laughs> but you know who's an addict is probably a a couple one paragraph. Yeah. yeah, but it would take me like twenty minutes, thirty minutes to read the shit. Wow. So when people would see me with that thing, they'd be like, "Who the fuck gave her that shit?" And I'll be, "Who is?" But when I was a little kid trying to read and I didn't make 
the words right, my father would take that composition book and he would slap me in the face with it. Wow. So learning wasn't my best attribute. I got expelled from the New York City school system probably, I think, the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I was, And I want to say this because it makes me proud. I was the pioneer, the first person to go to the Saturday alternative school. Hey. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, made, I was the first project child. It was called Satellite Academy in New York City. They had just opened up this alternative school. And guess what I ended up doing? Getting high with the teachers and fucking them. Wow. So that's In how, sixth grade? In the alternative school. Yeah, of course. Wow. They turned it into, it was an alternative school. I think I was probably maybe 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to be at least 13. And then they would give us dust. My brothers, who ended up to be my brother's wife, she used to smoke the dust with me, and we would be on the Jamaica bus fucked up. PCP. PCP. So I ended up going to literacy classes. Wow. Somebody, them same guys. Who got you to do this? I'm going to tell you now. Them same guys, the same gurus mm-hmm. from the old guy that tried to pin me down in his car that I had to check, one of them became a very good friend of mine. And he said to me, Ing, he said, girl, you're going to have to get you some kind of education or something. You're going to have to get you a job because I was still hustling. And um, he said, you're going to have to get you a job. So I went down. You were selling dope in recovery for a long time? For a minute. Yeah. I would not um, sell to anyone in the room. How about that? There you go. And I wouldn't sell outside of the room. And then I said, I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to re-up, which meant that I would be cooking up, packing up, and giving it to people to come and get the money, and I give them the dope and just re-upping. Mm-hmm. For those of y'all that don't know, I don't know who don't know, but <laughs> this is Narcotics Anonymous, but okay. That's what I did for a minute. And I remember one night, uh, really, really, like, and I hadn't felt that way in a minute, really wanting to get high. And I had called my sponsor. And I, and I told her, girl, because, of course, you know, when you hustle, when you no, when you living dirty, clean. Yeah, when you live in dirty and you clean, you think everybody know. And so I called her and I said, "Girl, I really feel like using, like I am ready to get fucked up." She goes, "Really, really? How much money you got in that house?" I said, "I got, I got some money in here." She goes, "How much dope you got in your house?" I said, "Girl, I'm so glad you asked. The safe <laughs> is calling me. The fucking cabinets is calling me." She said, "Really?" She said, "Okay, bitch." She said, "You can't serve two masters. One of them got to go." And wow. she hung up the phone on me. You know what kept me clean that night? The thought of how I was going to fuck her ass up <laughs> the next day. Because remember, she never let me know where she lived. She was a smart lady. Because I'd have went to her house that night. Mm-hmm. I was rageful. I was so fucking, that fucking bitch, she's supposed to be helping me, that motherfucker. And when I went to the meeting the next night, she was sitting down there looking at me laughing. And I said, bitch, you think this shit is funny? She said, girl... I guess you ain't get high last night. I said, how the fuck you know that? You ain't did shit for me. She said, because if you got high like I got high, bitch, you wouldn't be standing here in front of me. I said, oh, this motherfucker thinks she's smart. But she was the perfect thing that God sent to me. And you know what? I thought this lady had. She must have been tough, huh? I thought she had years of recovery. Mm-hmm. You know that when we got back together now, she said, Ing, I only had eight more months than you. Wow. I said, bitch, you, this whole time, I thought you had 20 fucking years. <laughs> but she, but that's why I'm trying to tell you, God knows exactly what he's going to give you and who you need. So whatever they were spoon feeding her ass, she was spoon feeding me. And that's how it worked. That lady saved my life because I still, still some of the stuff that she gave me in my foundation still walks with me today. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm telling you, find somebody that believes in you and wants to help you in your recovery. So these guys sent me to a job interview down in Manhattan at the Philco building, for those of y'all that know New York. And I went in there, me, and um, so I'm sitting across from him. I gave him a resume with like two words on it. (laughs) (laughs) And my guy looks at me. He goes, okay, so uh, you want to tell me your latest accomplishments? I said, yeah, I've been clean for a minute. Like, you know, I've been doing all right. I've been staying off of drugs, and I've been going to meetings and shit. This motherfucker looked at me and was like, what? Like, in his mind, he was like, is this a fucking joke? Are we on camera camera and shit? (laughs) So he was looking at me, and I was looking back at him. He says, okay, don't call me. We'll call you. And I said, what does that mean? 
And he said, uh, don't call me. We'll call you if we have a job available. We'll call you. I said, uh-uh, motherfucker. That ain't how this shit working. I came here to get a job, and you're going to give me one. And he said, miss, that's not how it works. I said, oh, bitch, that's the way it's going to work today. <laughs> and me and this guy, this guy called security on me. Wow. And I got escorted out the building. That was your first interview? That was my first Earth job interview. <laughs> that was my first interview of trying to be sociably acceptable. And, um, and that's what I did. I went and I... Um, I thought I was just going to go get a GED, and then they, I went in there because, you know, everywhere I go, I'm Big Willie. I said, shit, I'm coming here to get my high school diploma. They said, okay, well, you got to take this test. And so I took the test, and now I understand today it's an entrance test. Mm -hmm. And the bitch came back to me, like, when I went back, she goes, well, she goes, you, you know you're illiterate, right? And I was like, what the fuck that mean? Like, yeah, I know I'm illiterate. She goes, are you sure? She goes, because you have a, I think it was a third grade or fourth grade reading level. I can't remember. It was one of the two. And I said, what does that mean? She goes, you can't read past the fourth grade. I looked at her. I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, you're going to have to start at the beginning. And so I started going to those literacy classes. I got kicked out of there like I can't tell you how many times. And eventually I got a GED. And 89 took me two years. And eventually I got my GED, and then um, I went to this thing called DVR, and they said, hey, go to this program, and we'll help you to become sociably acceptable. I was like, they said, it, they put you in a work environment. And so I got kicked out of there a few times because, of course, you know, in job places, there's a chain of command. And I'm, fuck that chain of command, bitch, I'm the command. I mean, I was a beast. I, and the jury's still out on me because there's some days that you can find me and I'm not ready. So I'll be, and I acknowledge that about myself today. And I could say, Ing, pull yourself back, tell your story walking, it ain't them. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned that in recovery about myself. So, and then I went to EPRA, and EPRA was an employment program for recovering addicts. So I graduated from that program with a scholarship to go to Columbia University and take up counseling. They said, this would be perfect for you. So, And by that time, I started getting nails. I had met a dude. He took me to divorce my last husband. And then I had these diamonds, and I had all of this stuff. I had a wedding planned. I had just gotten a real job. One week, I started working for a treatment program. I was coming up on my fourth year clean. I had already opened up some programs in my community. Like, I hid behind this program. Once I accepted it, I hid behind this program, and I just, I'm, I'm a mover and a shaker. You know, some people think about what they're going to do. I do it. And so that's what I did. I got in the paramilator, in the projects. I got a NA meetings going in there. I became part of this educational team to help them change the um, FCATs. And then the situation popped off. And the people in the rooms saved my life because um, some of the brothers that was in there knew the team I was um, involved with, and they knew that I was in the middle of that shit, that I was getting phone calls from these, from both people trying to get this motherfucker to shut the fuck up and tell this motherfucker I ain't doing it. And so I was in the middle of that. And then one of the cats in the fellowship said to me, yo, Ing, you got to cut the fucking collect calls off and get out of the middle of that shit. And so I, I did that. And then people were coming to my house, yo, so-and-so wants you to come over there, come up to see him in Rikers, come on, he already got you comped up, come on. Let's. And I was like, I ain't doing it. And I can't tell you why I never did it. I know they told me not to, but these were all my people, so I, I don't know why I never really went, but I didn't. And, um, and then shit got real for them. And I came home from my new job. I, you know, I was sociably acceptable in my mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I had this dude I was getting ready to marry and Marquise engagement rings and my nails. And I wasn't that gangster no more. I was even carrying a pocketbook, yo. Mm -hmm. I had a pocketbook. Uh, can you believe that? I came home and I see the yellow tape all across the front of the project. And, uh, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck just popped off? And there's a whole towels um, full of blood. And keys on top, and 
people yoing, yoing, yo, they just killed this girl and her family, and oh my God, ing, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I went upstairs to my house, and uh, and I get a phone call, and it's my cousin. He goes, yo, ing, where's the kids? I said, the kids are outside. He said, get them in the house now. I said, look out the window. Look on the corner. You see any new brothers out there? I said, yeah, what's up? He said, you got to get the fuck out of there because they went and they did this to these people because of this dude. And now because of me, they're coming after you. So I was like, what? I was like, are you out your fucking mind right now, bro? I ain't getting involved in that shit. Bullshit. And he said, get the kids in the fucking house. So I whistled for my kids and they came in the house. And um, and so I called my sponsor. I was like, yo. What's happening right now? She's, I said, yo. And then at the time, it was uh, John Santucci was the uh, DA in New York. And he gets, takes the phone from my cousin and he says to me, listen, I know that you're trying to do the right thing and I know you're living right now. He said, but uh, let me just tell you what happened over there. And he gave me details. He said, and you guys are next. Word on the street is you guys are next. And he says, then I got to get you and them kids out of there. Your cousin said he ain't saying another motherfucking word till you out of there. So I was like, well, I ain't going nowhere. So I guess zip is the fucking word. Mm-hmm. And so um, my sponsor said, you got to leave. She said, if, if the guy is telling you the truth, then you need to make that change. But I have to tell you that from the time I really started getting clean and and started really wanting to change my life, I always used to say, you know, those secret prayers that you have in your heart? God, how am I going to get my babies out of this project? Because I was still walking over bodies, and my elevators were still full of fucking crack pipes and piss and shit. And I always used to say, God, how am I going to get my babies out of here? And she said, you got to go. I said, where am I going? I said, all right, I'm going to go to Georgia because I had an ex-husband in Georgia. I had an ex-husband every day. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right, I'm going to go hit him up. And she said, is that the guy that you shot? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, what the fuck you going to go over there for, you stupid ass? She said, you can't go over there. What if he still wants to kill you? I said, well, who cares what he want to do? Shit, I'm going over there. She said, you can't go over there. She said, go to Florida. That's where all you motherfuckers go. And I was like, okay. So that's what you mean when you say you relocated. Yeah. And you didn't tell people you were from New York. No, I had to tell them. They, the people that relocated me, they dropped me off on... Uh, 154th in Miami Lakes. It was called the Wesley Inn then. Now it's called the Cantana. And there's a Winn-Dixie and shit over there. And um, and it was nothing but cow pastures. I was like, what the fuck is this? So uh, they dropped me off there. And I had called the Friendship Club. Shout out to the Friendship mm-hmm. Club. And those, those old timers there. See, I was used to going to AA meetings. And I was used to doing my steps in AA. And I did my steps in NA. And I was working it, but I never got to the core of me. It took the time it took. And um, I got to a lot of surface stuff, but about the abuse and all of that shit, that comes much later. That shit surfaced, and when it surfaced, I felt like I was falling apart, like I couldn't even breathe. And I started seeing this guy at UM. So I started doing therapy with him, and I started doing um, these... All these type Exercises. of yeah, all these type of exams and shit, and he and I couldn't get past the eleven. That's how we found out I couldn't get past eleven. And then he did this regression therapy with me. That was one of the hardest times of my recovery. And he would say to me, "I can get you to a psychiatrist and get you medicine." And I'll say, "I don't want no medicine." And at that time, I was running a program. I was running a fucking program as a program director. It was a homeless program. And um, I remember just going in my office and I would just sit there and I feel like I was just melting like, God, how did this happen to me? And why did I let this fucking guy convince me to do this shit? And, um, And then one day it just all came out. It was so painful. And I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. He says, I don't want you to leave. Do you want me to help you with anything? I think he was afraid. I think he fucked up, too, to be honest with you. <laughs> he didn't know what was <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, he didn't really get them. He knew something was going to come. I don't think he knew what it was because he was like, shit, bitch, you want to go home with me? I'll fucking take care of you. But I was so broken. 
And when it really started coming out, that thing was like, I don't know if you've ever had like an ingrown hair and they pull it mm-hmm. and that shit just starts oozing out. But the pain, but the relief, I was in pain for months over that shit. Like I couldn't even fucking breathe. And the more that we would And go, what was the therapy like? He would have you like do uh, like a regression therapy where you go back to your childhood. Yes, with the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know the wheel that they have? Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a minute ago. Now they probably just slap the shit out of you and you <laughs> doze up. But yes, he would do the wheel and every and we would go down steps. And yep. every step was a year of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and his- Hi- co- Hypnotized? Like hypnotherapy, yeah. but for regression. I've done that. It's powerful, ain't it's it? It's crazy, yeah. And so- um, It blows my mind how many people don't do it. Like someone has an ingrown hair or some type of issue that they just live with and you have no idea- and then someone comes and pulls that out of you, and you're just like, wow. Um, God will always put the right people in the right place at the right time. And I didn't believe in God when I got here, but good orderly direction, group of drug addicts, group of drunks. And today I know that I have a God. I have an undergrad in theology trying to figure out who God was. Wow. How about that? That's cool. And I graduated summa cum laude, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. But when they relocated me— um, Now, is this— uh? What's the part of the government that does that relocation? Uh, it was the feds. The feds. It was, a, it was the feds and the state because the case was so big, mm-hmm. they got together. It was a fucking all-inclusive New York City, out and out, fucking let's get these bastards. Mm-hmm. And then they did the crane theory with me because they started trying to dig me for questions. And I'm not, I wasn't really about that life. I, um, I was like, not me, motherfucker. You ain't get me caught up in that mm-hmm. shit. And so being that I would not, I just kept telling them I was fucked up. I don't remember. Thank God for that. But then they dropped me off and they just left me here. They left me here. They wouldn't take care of me. And I didn't know how to get in touch with my cousin. So they were like, bitch, you ain't going to help us. You on your own, motherfucker. And so uh, I came here and I was living in the projects paying $139 a month for rent. And uh, no light, no Water, $139. That's how I was living. And my little car. And I started working in the Winn-Dixie because I used to hustle out of this corner store. Because what we would do is put whatever it was in the sandwich. But made it look like a sandwich. So I learned how to cut meat. Because mm-hmm. some people really wanted meat. Mm-hmm. They didn't just want dope. They wanted really a fucking hoagie. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I learned how to do that, and I, and I went into that Winn-Dixie, and I got a job there. But when I got here, and I, I was like, all right, they dropped me off. I went to the meeting at the Friendship Club. I made it to the meeting, and they was like, yo, where you from? And I was like, Tennessee. And, you know, and you couldn't tell me nothing because I was coming up on my fourth year clean. So people that just met me, they were like, this bitch is out of control. But you didn't know me when. Mm-hmm. So to me, I was... Tip top. Yeah, I was tip top. I was on top of my fucking recovery game, bitch. Who you talking to? And and go call your sponsor. You got a problem? You call your sponsor. Don't talk to me about that shit. It was just, I was just all out. And they said, where you from? I said, Tennessee. I don't know why the fuck I picked Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to fit in here. I used to go there. I had a, I started a meeting there a few years ago. Did you? Yeah, a while back. Is it still there? Still going to 7.30? I don't know about now, but I remember we used to do the Tuesday night and Wednesday night meeting there. They still have it, N.A.? Mm-hmm. 7.30? Yeah. Still going. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Them guys are still going there. And so they said to me, uh, well, you don't sound like you from Tennessee. I said, well, I am. Don't worry. But um, I went to the subways there because I'm telling you, I'm fresh out of New York. It was my first experience seeing a subway mm-hmm. shop, oh, period. The- the sandwiches. The sandwiches. Yeah. I'm in the middle of fucking cow pastures, and I see the sandwich subway place, and I see the arrow. So in my mind, I go, oh, this can't be that bad. That's the fucking train station right there. We good. <clears throat> so I said, let me figure out how I'm going to get around this place now. So I walk in, there, and if you ever walk into a subway, it has nothing but New York City train stops. So I said, damn, look, I got the seven. I got the... F, I got the, okay, so I'm not that far from home then. I'm good. So I walk in there and it smelled real good because they baked the breads. And I said, damn, Florida train station smelled good as fuck. <laughs> and so I walk, I walk in there and I go to the back. I bet you this guy still tells the story. I walk to the back and I start opening up doors. 
And I'm like, damn, where the, how the fuck I get downstairs to the train? And I'm looking, and I'm fucking looking, and the guy comes from behind the counter. He goes, miss. I said, yeah, I'm just trying to get downstairs to the train. He goes, what? And now in my mind, my mind switches. I go to the train. Train, subway, to the train, motherfucker. And in my head, I'm saying, oh, these Florida people think I'm stupid. They're trying you. They're trying me. Mm -hmm. He goes, what train? I said, does this shit not say subway? He goes, miss. This is a sandwich place. (laughs) And where you are, buses don't even come through here. He said, you stuck if you trying to find transportation. I said, what? No fucking way. I was so embarrassed. I walked out of there. I said, I can't believe I just fucking ready to slap this guy. And this is a fucking sandwich place. And so I went outside and I cried like a baby. I was like, God, wait a minute. Don't tell me that you done brought me all the way out here to drop my ass off here and I don't even know what the fuck is going on. Which comes to God will never drag your ass out of an ocean full of sharks and let you die on the beach. Just remember that. And so I was like, oh, shit. So I said, well, fuck it. I got to get a job. That's when I went into the Winn-Dixie. I got me a little gig there. And I would walk. I got my kids back. But we were staying in the hotel for a minute until they can get us a place. And I would walk from that hotel room on 154th and whatever the fuck it was to the Friendship Club through the cow pastures. I would walk to make a meeting, literally. I would walk to make a meeting. And I would walk back from that fucking meeting too. And then I start to got to know people and then um, I met Heart Attack Mike, God bless the dead. Again, I don't like talking anonymity, but he was from Jersey. And he said, you think that fucking subway story is fucking funny as hell? He said, when I got off the plane, I saw the little Cuban coffee cups, and I thought it was a meth clinic in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) And so he he became my buddy. He became the guy that was helping me back and forth with my kids, and he was real good people. And, uh, And then I met a whole bunch of other people, and I have people in my life that love me unconditionally from that whole group that I met in 91 because I started working at Glen Bay. And I still have people that are just family to me. You know, my family, um, I wasn't one of those people that got my family back when I got clean. I was still a dirty bitch to them and can't unring a bell. My father, my abuser in this whole time, came down with, with my kids when he, when he first came down, and he had gotten this, they had gotten me a um, townhouse. And the rent was $675, and I, I was like, who the fuck is paying that shit? And then I had water. The, I got a water bill and a light bill, and I was like, who the fuck pays for fucking water in America? Like, a light? Who pays for light? Like, I came here, I didn't know none of that until the lights were off. <laughs> And the fucking water was off. And these people that I had met down here jimmied the fucking lights to the neighbors. And they taught me how to jimmy the water. And that's how we started living. And then my dad came down here with his wife. And, uh, and he started abusing them and me. And my father was murdered down here. Wow. Not even uh, two months after he was here by the lady that he had hooked up with, son. But they couldn't. That was a whole nother fucking debacle. But um, And for the funeral, they tried to relocate me again because they thought that maybe somebody came to get me and found him first. I was like, I ain't going. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to be running my ass all around town for the rest of my fucking life. Bitch, you want me? Come get me. And I just had to do whatever it was I needed to do. And, and when uh, I got back to New York for the funeral, you know, my brothers were there and they were like, bitch, everything you touch turns to dirt and you're a fucking bitch. And, and I was coming up on my seventh year clean wow. when my father got killed down here. Because he had came, I had to get him out of my house. He married this lady. They bought a house. Like it was whatever was happening. And I was coming up on my seventh year clean when he got killed. And, um, and that's what they said to me. And I was like, nothing changes and nothing changes. I don't need you. I never needed you. You people abuse me. Who fucking cares what you think? But I did need my family. But God gave me another family. He gave me you people in the rooms that um, believed in me and wanted to help me in my recovery. 
And in working in that process, that's how I got to the therapist at UM because I went back to DVR and I had to go with my information and, um, and they got me into UM. And you graduated? I graduated summa cum laude from UM with my CAP. Wow. With my, what was it? The CAP Certified Addictions Professional. And, um, and I was working all kinds. I was a pioneer of the Victims Advocate Program because I met people as I went along. People like me. People, I don't even know <laughs> how. I would be like, okay. They're like, girl, you're a breath of fresh air. And I'm like, why am I a breath of fresh air? And they're like, not too many people want to tell the truth thing. Not too many people is what it is. And I don't really know. Like, I don't, I don't try to figure it out. And I, I've accepted the fact you either love me or you hate me. Fuck it. It doesn't matter what you feel about me. It's what I feel about me. And sometimes I feel like very uncomfortable. Sometimes I just don't know who to be but myself. And sometimes I feel like I'm Ingrid. Maybe you shouldn't be like, just shut the fuck up or something. Just stop. Mm -hmm. Today I know that I listen to that spirit inside of me. When did your spirituality like uh, kind of flip from the person you are today, because like, you know, I noticed before we started the podcast, you know, you're very comfortable with taking a minute of silence. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I do before I speak. And, I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to know, like, when that switch happened for you, where you learned how to, like, quiet yourself and not react. And, uh, you know, the old queen, queenie don't come out anymore as often. Uh, I don't know if I've had, <laughs> I don't know if I ever have learned that, but she shows up when the fuck she wants to. But mm -hmm. I mean, what I have found is through my journey, I'm a seeker. And when I took that theology class, I learned about the Dead Scrolls. And I, I took my Shahada in the Nation of Islam in 89. Huh. And what I learned from Islam was that that was all that pent up anger and rage, that all I needed was... One thing, good, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I would try to pray. And remember, I had that resentment with God. And I would, my sponsor showed me how to pray on my knees. She said, throw, I used to smoke three packs of Newports a day. She said, throw your cigarettes under the bed. And while you're down there, say the serenity prayer. My sponsor told me that too. Yep. And that's how I learned how to pray on my knees. And I would just pray. But what I realized is that God took care of me when I was out there. And how I know this to be true is because I ain't dead. I might have been beat down and left for dead. I might have been raped. I might have been tortured. But he didn't kill me. And I always came back like a fucking rubber band. You know what I mean? Somehow or another, I couldn't even see. And my mouth was ripped open. And I couldn't even talk. But shit. And that didn't stop me from getting high either, yo. Mm -hmm. I fucking put the shit on the other side of my face. <laughs> and nothing stopped me from using uh, except for Narcotics Anonymous, and I still can't tell you how God got me there. But I would listen to you people, and I would listen to how it was working for you. And I would see, I didn't believe, but um, I was feeling better every time I got clean. And then when I would hear you say something, I used to sit in meetings going, what? They telling their business like that? <laughs> Bitch, are you crazy? What is five O's in here? Like, what the? F I didn't even know. To tell you, I didn't even know I was overdosing wow. till I heard this brother Sharon in a meeting one day and he was talking about he was dying and he saw the spots and his throat closed up and his chest was pounding out of his heart and he fell over and he woke up in ICU. And I said to myself, I said, what? I said, I thought that shit was a good hit. <laughs> you mean to tell me that all them fucking times that I fucking would come foaming out my mouth, wake up with blood and shit, that was fucking OD? Get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know. Like, I didn't know about abuse. I didn't know about domestic violence. I didn't know about none of that shit. That shit was a way of life. And when I would be listening to people, and this is what spirituality means to me, and there were so many things that just would open up my eyes and lift the blinders off of me. Just enough for me not to get scared and run back, but just enough for me to sit and say, you know what? Maybe I should just listen to this person. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should try this another way. Maybe I should not say anything. Maybe it's not okay to be violent. 
Maybe it's not okay to throw people shit out the fucking window every time I get mad at them. <laughs> it's true. And then uh, there's a brother in the fellowship who became a very good friend of mine. And uh, while I was during my pregnancy with my last, with my son, with my last child, and he taught me that I didn't have to fuck, and that men had feelings, and that they were human beings. And and we're still good friends today. And then I have another friend who's a male friend in my life that I respect and he respects me. And like I have men, I have you. I have men in my life that I can respect and I can sit and look and and feel your feelings because recovery doesn't have uh, a gender. Recovery doesn't have a color. Recovery doesn't have a social status. It's, do you have a problem and how can I help? And that to me was spirituality. You've been clean how long now? Uh, I'll just celebrated 33 years. Congrats. I'm coming That's up awesome. on my 34th year and I still don't have all the answers. This is a family disease and, um, and I treated my kids the way I was treated. And just because I got clean, don't mean that they had to accept me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was ruthless. I'm telling you, as I shared a little earlier, I didn't want my kids to have that emotional attachment to me because the way I felt when I buried my mother. So I raised my kids that way. And uh, as a result, I have very difficult relationships with my kids. And, um, and I love my kids to death. And I love my grandchildren to death. And my grandchildren, it's a different relationship because it's I'm the recovery not, babies. Those are recovery babies. But my oldest kids haven't forgotten that. My kids are 44 years old, 43 years old, 36, uh-huh. 37. I got fucking old ass kids. <laughs> and I'm still a spring chicken. And so they, I can't determine how long it's going to take them to heal. How do you get over um, forgiving your abusers? By forgiving myself, I think. I don't know. It kind of just happens. Did you keep going to therapy after that? Oh, to leave my last husband? Because, oh, you really got some jackpot questions. So, uh, you know, the relationship. So me and this guy could not get apart. I ended up with 10 years clean, three non-bondable felonies in a domestic dispute. Wow. Working as a family therapist. Wow. I was fucking around. He was fucking around. And it happened to be a chick that was in my woman's home group. And she rolled up on me and my kids was there and everybody was looking, waiting to see, yo, what ain't going to do? What ain't going to do? I said, yo, God loves you, bro. I got to go. Let me tell you, it's by God's grace that I ain't catching no bodies that day because I kept asking God to protect me, but I couldn't stop me. That rage. And I got addicted to this person. And that's what prompted me to get help by that same therapist. I said, yo, I'm going to end up killing this guy or he's going to end up killing me. So we ended up going to therapy with this guy for three years to stay apart. To stay apart? To stay apart. Holy cow. Three years to stay apart. And, you know, to spirituality, today I understand that we had cords and relationships that we had had along our journey that had brought us to the time where we ended up. Today, I, I haven't seen that guy in forever. My kids still talk to him, and they always laugh. They'd be like, so, Mom, you want to come to dinner with us? Or whatever. And I'm like, ni en película. <laughs> but the reality is, is that every time I would look at that guy after I finally broke those cords, I was like, what the fuck was you doing with that? He didn't hit me, and I didn't hit him, but we were tearing each other up. And that addiction to another person, being with somebody that you know you don't even want to be with, but yet you're with them, that spirituality, that's a little bit more than just here and there. Mm -hmm. That shit is something deeper than that. I've learned um, through meditation. I've learned Reiki. When I got sick, um, they wanted to give me a bunch of pain medicines, and I didn't want to take them. So I would, because I'm not a martyr, but I was taught early in my recovery that um, any mind, mood, altering substance ain't for you. 
And that hole, you know that hole I was telling you about? I still have that hole. And it may not be glaring, and it may not be a huge gap, but I don't ever want to go back to where I came from. So I better find alternatives because I don't want to use. And I thank God that I have not had to live on medication for pain, even though I live in pain. Mm -hmm. I thank God that I have been able to find people, like-minded people that will meditate with me, that will heal me with their hands, that will breathe with me, that will pray with me, that when I'm in so much pain, because pain knocks me out, that when I'm rocking back and forth, I know that God can and will. And I've learned that I am a spiritual being having human experiences. Mm -hmm. Because I do experience deja vu. I'd be like, damn, I was here before. Damn, how the fuck did I get here? So I've learned how to educate myself and deal with my empathic energies. I'm a healer. I'm a healer and I'm a seeker. Uh, I don't believe in religion. Religion is a ritual. How you living? And I believe that, that God pulled me out from the grave because I was dead. Literally. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually dead. Today, I realize how grateful I am and what my purpose is. And everybody isn't going to like my purpose. Everybody's not going to like me. And I don't have to. They don't have to like me. But I have to love every person that I come across. Because I'm not there for his flesh or her flesh. I'm there for their spirit. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that I can do to plant that seed, I do it. And it ain't pretty. Not everybody's ready for you to throw that fucking little mustard seed in their chest. But I always share with people all the time. I say, you know, we always are praying. That little voice inside of us when we talking and we saying, even if we're talking bad stuff, we're praying. And thank God the universe and its energies does not listen to everything I say about myself. Because if they did, I would be rotten. I would be like maggots all over me because my inner self-talk destroys me. It's not what you say about me that affects mm -hmm. me. It's what I say about me. It's not what you think about me that affects me. It's what I think about me. And I didn't know that for many, 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 many years in recovery. And I sit here to tell you that it ain't what you call me. It's what I'm going to answer to. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy, because once I can accept myself just the way I am, with my imperfect imperfections, with my stuttering sometimes, with my anxiety, with my loudness, with my aggression, with my um, happiness, once I can accept me, whatever you come with is a gift. It's a gift. It's an honor. And like I share with you all the time, like it's an honor to be in your presence. It's a gift. And uh, I know you probably think sometimes this lady crazy as fucking hell sometimes, but the fact that we're sitting here doing this and the fact that you've allowed me to partake in your gift. Thank you. It's a blessing. And it's my honor. And, you know, it's kind of like recovery. Recovery is the gift that I was given by this universe. And what I do with it is what I give back. And so I believe in those things. I believe in that process of, but don't get me wrong, I was in the nation of Islam. I've been a Baptist. I've been a Pentecostal. I've been a Unitarian. I go anywhere. I seek my soul. But when I finish that theology, I got an undergrad in theology behind this shit. And I asked the professor, I said to her, Professor, you know all of these things, all of this stuff. What religion did you pick to be? She said a Catholic. Wow. I said, Catholic? Why'd you pick a Catholic, sister? She said, because I love the holidays. <laughs> That's cool. I said, so you chose to be a Catholic knowing all this information because you love the holidays? She said, yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is if you say you're a Jew and you live as a Jew, you're a Jew. If you say you're Muslim and you live as a Muslim, you're a Muslim. If you say you're a Christian and you live as a Christian, then you're a Christian. If you say you're an atheist and you live as an atheist, then you're an atheist. 
if you think that you're um, divinely led, then you're divinely led. The thing is that you just figure out what's going to work for you and whatever you believe you are. But it's your right to believe and be who you are. Mm -hmm. This is like what kind of clothes you want to put on. That's like what kind of clothes you want to put on. And nobody gets to tell me, oh, you're wrong for believing that. Mm -hmm. I have the right to be who I am. And guess what? So do you. Well, I appreciate you coming out. I know we got to wrap up soon. Thank you so much. Namaste. Namaste. (laughs) All right. Appreciate it, Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.